Amen. Hey, to those of you who are joining us online, we are really, really glad that you are with us. And we have always said that we count you as family, but we really do. We count you as family. Family is one of those unique words. It's a unique word because uh, in the way that we define it today, at the turn of the century, in the early 1900s, you said the word family and everyone knew exactly what you meant. You meant that there was a couple, a man and a woman, married to one another, procreating and having children and these children were under the authority of the head of the household who was the father and the father was not only in charge of his children but ladies he was in charge of his wife how things have changed you know things have changed we no longer define family you hear the term family you don't think um, in the same terms of the early 1900s hundred pardon me Oh my, that was a good time. You weren't here 120 years ago, Lee. <laughs> now the term family, now the term family means all kinds of things. It can be um, people you are physically related to, you share the same DNA. Family could be just a group of people living under one roof. Family can be um, scattered across the world, not just the United States, but scattered across the globe and connecting through the internet. Family can be people that you love dearly. Family can be people you don't like at all. Family, family can be so many different things. Family can be something honorable, but family can be something criminally inclined. Gangs refer to their members as their family. Um, the mafia the mafia is really big with this word family. And this, 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 this week on, on the news, I heard uh, uh, an athlete talking about how he was going to miss his senior season. And he was saying that these teammates are my family. He said, this is my family. Man, we have this broad understanding of family. And if you think our society is the one that, that, that changed the boundaries on family, you might want to think again. Because from the very beginning of time, in God's created order, this, this order called humanity, God identified all the people groups as his family. All of them. Chinese, Japanese, African, Italian, Jewish. He, he said, this is my family. These are my children. Even if they are, are defined differently, even if they look different than one another, this is my family. And if you think that we have a broad scope of what the term family means, God has a ginormous broad scope for what family means. And it's humanity. All of these people groups, no matter who they are, they were created in the image of God. And, and until we have that understanding, until the, we grab hold of what that word family truly means, we're going to continue to find things that allow us to segregate and to separate. We're going to find reasons to reject one another simply because someone is part of another people group. 
They think differently. They act differently. And so we'll, we'll use all of these reasons that we have to separate instead of be unified. If we say that we are God's people, if we say that we want to be connected to his perfection and his goodness, that we want his plan, that we want the fulfillment of what God has ordained for us already, then part of that is that we have to seek to be unified with others, no matter who they are. If we are the body of Christ, if we are his hands, if we are his feet, then we must be unified not only to God. See, Christians spend a lot of time trying to be unified to God. I want, to be, I want this connection with God. I want this connection with God. And yet God said with his created order, I desire that you are connected to one another. And so the kind of unity that we're talking about should uh, leave us with some level of responsibility toward others, regardless of who they are. If we are going to be unified in the way that God is calling us to, it, it, it's that we're going to understand that there's a responsibility to others. Ephesians 2, 19 and 22 reads, So now, so now you Gentiles... Are no longer strangers. You are no longer foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. These are the, 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 the group they're talking about. These are the Jews. This, this set aside group. The Jewish people. Uh, now you are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. Built on the, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully, I love this term, we are carefully joined together in him. Becoming a holy temple of the Lord. And through him, you Gentiles, you know this, this passage right here, uh, the, that word Gentiles? They're, they're talking about us. Because we aren't Jews. So they're, they're talking about us, and, and the, the reality that, that's being taught here is that there's this people group that, that God used. They're, they're called the chosen people, the Jewish nation, the Israelites. God came to this people group to bring salvation to the rest of the world because Jesus had to, had, had to be dropped into a people group, okay? So, so he... he he has prepared that group of people by connecting with him, the Jews, they connecting with him so that when Jesus would arrive, they would be prepared and ready. And so it wasn't that the Jews were better than anyone else. God could have chosen any group, any group would have done. It wasn't that they were special. It wasn't that they were better than or superior to. It's just that there needed to be a people group for, for Jesus to, to, to mesh into. And then that's where salvation is going to come through Jesus Christ. And so this one people group, because they were used by God, they kind of had an attitude that they were superior to others. They kind of had an attitude that, that, that they were a little higher on, the, on the, uh, the chain of order here. And that's just not true. Sometimes I think as Americans, we do the very same thing. I think there are sometimes because we have privilege. We are a nation of privilege. We are a nation of opportunity. And because we are this nation of privilege and opportunity, there are times that we act as if we are superior to other people groups simply because of who we are. And that just isn't so. See, the, 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 the deal with privilege and opportunity, 
The reality of privilege and opportunity is that it doesn't make us superior. It doesn't make us better than anyone else. It makes us responsible. Having privilege, having opportunity makes you responsible. And that was the case with the Jews. God was saying, you are responsible for being this catalyst to open the door for salvation for all of the world. You are not superior. You are responsible. And when we, when we change the way we're thinking from being privileged and having opportunity to being responsible, that's a game changer. Okay, let's go back to verse 21 here. Um, we are carefully joined together. He's saying those who are not Jews and those who are Jews, we are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple of the Lord. And through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. It's talking about unity. In, in a huge way, he's saying every single one of us, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you look like or sound like or come from, every single one of us has been given this invitation as a reminder of our responsibility. And see, before you took your first breath, God had already said, I have created Mankind to be unified. And your call for unity was placed in you before you took your first breath because you're created in the image of God. You were formed and fashioned to be an agent that seeks to be unified. To seek harmony. That's who we are. It's part of God's divine plan. And this issue of unity is very far-reaching. See, when I was a little girl, um, I grew up I grew up a good little Baptist girl. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and, and we, were, we were good Baptists. We were. And I understood unity to mean that, that I was unified with the people in my church, with the people of my denomination, that unity meant the Baptists are going to get along. And then when I grew and, and became an adult, I realized that, that as, as Christians with all these different denominations were coming together, that a lot of times they weren't coming together at all. And so I, I, I understood unity to be this, this calling of Christians to get along, whether you are Methodist or whether you're Presbyterian or Catholic, Church of God, whatever you are, this understanding that Christians are supposed to get along with one another. But folks... God wants more than that. His perspective isn't limited to those people who are already believers. Unity, the kind of unity that comes from God's perspective, it's deep. It's far-reaching. And it means far more than just your denomination gets along. It means far more than just Christians get along. It means we have a responsibility to those who don't know the Lord yet. And we ought to feel the weight of being unified and bringing God's family together. That unity is it's, it's, it's part of our DNA. It's, it's part of who we are as a church. We've been talking about our, our DNA through this series, that we are people who serve. That, 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 and that's what this, 
week was supposed to be about in Mexico, just serving. And we will continue to be people who serve. We are people who believe that transformation happens when you choose to live a holy life. We are people who, who believe in renewal and recovery. And that comes when forgiveness is sought, but when forgiveness is also offered and so it's, it's this reciprocal reciprocal thing this forgiveness we are all one body we are to be people who are unified as God's people and we are to have his perspective on unity and not just ours and this is a place where we will not stand for judgmental attitudes there are no judgmental attitudes here because we are keepers of the peace we are peacekeepers and and we are de determined to love no matter the cost because that is what we see on the cross we we see service we see holiness we see transformation through forgiveness we see unity we see peace and we see love and that's what we're called to and if you're one of those detailed persons and you were here last week and you go, okay, so two weeks ago we talked about serving, we talked about service, uh, last week we talked about holiness, and today you're talking about unity. What happened to forgiveness? Are we just skipping it? Or are we not going to talk about forgiveness? No, that's not the case. The case is that there is this phenomenal, exceptional, overwhelming, miraculous miracle that took place at our Bicknell campus. And because I was going to be gone next week, Pastor Jason was going to be here, and so we flip-flopped things. Since this took place at the Bicknell campus, we thought it might be best that you hear it from him. And, and, and we're going to share this testimony. Her testimony is going to blow your socks off. Make sure you wear socks next week, because it's just going to blow your socks off. It is so amazing. Her doctor told her that one in a billion, right? One in a billion, not a million. And there are seven billion people on the face of this earth. You don't want to miss this. And, and if we're not here together, we're going to be online and you're going to hear her testimony. And this is the one time, church, it's time we've been talking about who's your one. Who's that one person that you've been seeking? Who's that one person you've been praying for? Who's that one person you've been offering the love of Jesus? Who's the one? Because next week, you'll want to invite your one. Whether it's here sitting with our seats apart or whether it's online, you call them to your house, you turn on your computer, you pull it up because you do not want to miss this. You don't want to miss it, but I'm going to tell you, it's going to be an easy way for your one to hear about Jesus Christ, about his miraculous, amazing power. One in a billion right here in Knox County, folks. One in a billion. I can't wait for you to hear about the power of God. It gives you the opportunity to in introduce someone to Jesus and maybe even someone to his body called the church. And it's all because we're, we're seeking to be unified. This understanding that goes far bigger than anything that we could ever grasp on our own. The cool thing about this DNA strand is how it, it ebbs and flows and how forgiveness pours into unity and how unity pours into service and holiness. It's, it's just amazing how it all connects. But being one body, folks, don't miss this point. 
Being one body requires that we are unified. It requires unity. It mandates, it mandates that we ask ourselves honestly, what are the things that have kept us from being unified with other people? What are, what are the things that cause separation? What are the things that we've bought into and allowed in our lives that, that, that cause division and brokenness? What are the things that we've accepted as true that bring about disharmony instead of unity? See, we've got we to address those things and we've got to address them within ourselves if we are ever going to be people who find peace and unity. That means we've got to address some tough questions. We've got to ask ourselves, what does it look like? What does it look like to be so connected to other human beings that even if they are very different than us, that we recognize, recognize that to some degree we have a responsibility for their soul? What does it look like to be so connected to others that we recognize to some degree that we have a responsibility for their soul? Not just that we acknowledge them, not just that we're aware of them, not that we're just polite to others, but that we actually feel some responsibility for their soul. Being linked like that, connected like that, is a much higher level than just saying, I recognize someone needs Jesus. No, this is feeling the weight of that responsibility. What does it look like to be so connected to humanity that we are aware that God desires that none of us should perish. None of us. I had somebody tell me once that we were wasting our time sending missionaries to Turkey. It broke my heart. It broke my heart. But it reminded me, and we've got this perspective. We've got this perspective of what unity looks like. And it's time to take it to a higher level. It's a whole, whole different take on unity. It's not just Christians expecting to get along with one another. Unity is far more than that. This term, family of God, carries great weight. What if we understood the call to unity to go far beyond just Christians getting along with each other. Why? Because that's God's plan. Why? Because that's God's desire. Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. And he's not slow about making this happen. Second Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, But you must not forget this one thing, my dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. And the Lord isn't really being slow at his promise, as some think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. See, God wants his family all these different people groups, he wants them to be united under the cause of Jesus Christ. On Tuesday, Pastor Andrea and I were talking about this responsibility that comes with unity. The, the, the responsibility, 
Are we truly seeking to be unified in the way that Christ is calling us? And the discussion came around to this question. Whose obligation is it? Whose obligation is it to feel responsible for those who don't know the Lord? Whose obligation is it? Have, have we forgotten what privilege and opportunity really breed? It breeds responsibility. Is the call for unity just this expectation of tranquility and peace among those who are already connected to Christ? Who should feel the weight of the souls that are wandering in darkness? Who should be saying that someone's soul who's destined for hell matters? Who should be saying that those people matter? When the Apostle Paul wrote those words in 2 Peter, he was saying to the church, Church, wake up! He was saying, wake up. God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. You've got all these people groups around you that do not know him. And you all do. You know him. Wake up, church. God doesn't want any of them to be destroyed. Christians, we've got to care about eternal matters. Peter goes on to say that we should be living with this eager expectation that Christ is going to return. We should also have this realization that one day this world's going to end. And when it does, this issue of being unified to the body of Christ is very important to God. I don't think he's as concerned about how we serve communion, that these de denominations that are fussing over the rules and regulations for how you serve communion. I don't think he's going to care whether our babies were baptized as infants or whether they were dedicated as infants. This issue of believers' baptism, churches will fight over these things. What we need to be saying is there are people whose souls are destined for hell and we better do something about it because I'm telling you, theology and doctrine don't matter if someone isn't connected and unified to the body of Christ first. And once they are connected, there is a doctrine for them. There is a theology for them. But don't get the cart before the horse. Because when Christians fuss and feud over these things, those who don't know the Lord say, why would I want to be a part of that group? They can't, they can't even get along. Galatians 6, 1 and 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by sin, this is this issue of Christians wanting to fuss and feud over doctrine and theology. If a believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the, that same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. And if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Being part of the body of Christ, being part of this church, means that we willingly, we willingly feel the obligation to walk alongside others. We willingly feel the responsibility to grow God's kingdom and not just our church. 
See, if, if your one has a, a connection, a family connection at another church, your one doesn't have to go to church here. That one person you've been seeking, that you've been praying for, that you've been loving, if their family all goes to church somewhere else, you encourage them to go with their family. See, we're about growing the kingdom. We're about having a God perspective. In the first century, when there was a new king or a new emperor, there were um, trumpeting heralds. And what they would do is the trumpets would play, dun, 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 and then everyone would look, oh, the, the trumpeting heralds are here. There must be a message. And then the heralds would, see, would yell, we have a new king, we have a new king, we have a new king. And then they'd go down the road, dun, 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 and then everyone would look, and they would say, we have a new king, we have a new king, we have a new king. If you've ever been around an adult who's found Jesus, they're like these heralders. They want to tell you all about what God has done for them. But sometimes Christians who've grown up in the church, sometimes we've become dull to sharing the good news because we got it ourselves. We got it. We know it. Our eternities with the Lord. Folks, we got to feel this urgency. Dun, 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 dun! Who are you telling? Who are you announcing there is a new king? Who are you willing to lay your pride aside and say, hey, come, come here about this miraculous, amazing, powerful God of miracles? Because he's still doing amazing things. Amen.